We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Focci here, and I hope that everybody is doing well uh, during what we're going through right now. It's obviously a time of uncertainty, and we really just miss our Indiana Pacers. And speaking of which, we are bringing on a special guest today, a reoccurring guest, friend of the show, Trevor Booker, who uh, recently just announced his retirement. So pretty awesome to get that first exclusive interview with Trevor Booker announcing uh, basically his retirement and what's coming next as well as talking about some of the great times in his career, like his times with the Indiana Pacers, as well as you know, a few different, more personal questions that I think you guys are going to enjoy today. So uh, while we don't know when basketball is coming uh, back, we hope that this has been something that been able to keep you guys a, a little bit busy during uh, the off time. And uh, hey, like I said, we miss our Indiana Pacers, but we are grateful for all of our listeners on setting the pace. So I'll get out of your way. And coming up next... Trevor Booker. What is going on, Pacer Nation? We are now welcoming on eight-year NBA veteran and recently retired Trevor Booker. Trevor, what's going on? Nothing much. Just taking it easy these days. How are you? 
I'm doing well, but I want to hear a little bit about the recent decision that you announced last night. How tough was it, and maybe how long were you mulling it over? Um, yeah, it, it, um, it's something that I've you know been thinking about for the last couple of years. Um, but you know, I made a decision. I haven't you know played in the NBA in a couple of years. I wanted to get back in the NBA, but it just didn't work out uh, in my favor. And, you know, with the coronavirus and and everything shutting down, you know, the NBA uh, season, you know, put on hold, um, you know, it really put a damper in everything. So I just just decided to focus on something else and, you know, just start the next chapter of my life. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be an exciting time. Uh, I know that uh, you have, you know, quite a few children. Some of them are are on the younger side, so that's got to be pretty awesome to be able to, you know, spend that extra time and really watch them grow up. I mean, how rewarding is that going to be? Yeah, um, you know, my kids are very special to me. And, you know, they're the ages now where, you know, they're playing, you know, a lot of sports. Uh, my daughter is in high school, so, you know, I, I, I'll get to spend, you know, a lot of time, you know, watching their games and, you know, coaching them from home and, you know, just seeing them, you know, grow as kids. So it's definitely uh, something that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, that's got to be just kind of the, the best thing moving forward. I'm really excited for when that day comes for me to be able to watch my children kind of grow up and, and just be there for them. So. Uh, I can't argue with you one bit on that. And how's the family holding up during uh, the turbulent time right now of COVID-19? Um, they're good. Uh, everybody's just at home. Uh, we find the stuff to do. My kids are still, you know, doing schoolwork uh, via Zoom. Uh, so they're still checking in every day, uh, getting their work done. Uh, they get to do, you know, have some exercise. Um, we go in the backyard, play basketball, uh, work out every day. Uh, so we're definitely finding stuff to do. Yeah, we recently had Thad Young on the show, and he was saying, you know, he's the math teacher, the PE teacher, and everything above. So is that kind of what you're falling into right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving the academics to my wife um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's her expertise. So my wife is handling that part, uh, and I handle, you know, the working out and all of that, the exercise. That sounds like a good plan. I'm sure they could learn quite a lot from the PE standpoint. Uh, but it's been over a month since the NBA suspended league play. What do you think is going to happen? Because they're pushing this back and back, and now it seems like the best case is maybe midsummer, no fans. Do you think play is going to resume this year? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think we'll see any fans in the, in the stands uh, anytime soon. Um, because I don't think you're, you're going to have a, you know, a vaccine within the next year. Um, just saying a vaccine would be likely, um, but it, it wouldn't be, you know, within uh, 12 months from now. So I don't think you will see, you know, people in the stands right now. So um, I think they're going to find a way to, to monetize it, even without the fans in the stands. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they could, you know, at least get it back on TV Exactly. I mean, I, I think that our fans for basketball are—they are just so die-hard that if if you could even just have it on TV and they can't be in the building, I don't think any of us are going to complain one bit. I mean, obviously it's player safety first, but if we could still just watch the NBA, I mean, it, it would mean a lot to a lot of people, uh, and I'm definitely one of those. Uh, so, 
Also, going back to the the retirement letter that you mentioned uh, yesterday, you talked about some pretty awesome opportunities that you've been blessed to be a part of, like such as working with Mark Cuban on a Shark Tank deal. My girlfriend and I love that show, so that even got her, you know, excited to be like, "Oh wow, he knows Mark Cuban!" But you're also working with, uh, I believe it's called the Combine Academy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, Combine Academy. Um, I started that along with my best friend in 2012. Um, you know, it's a it's a school that we built from the ground up. Um, we started, you know, with just me and him uh, and 12 students, uh, international students. Uh, so we built that up to a, to a 43 acre campus. Um, you know, we have basketball, baseball, uh, and soccer currently. Um, so, and last year, you know, we had one of the best teams, one of the best uh, basketball teams in the nation. You know, at one point we were ranked ranked uh, 35th in the nation. Um, so you know we've really you know built it up to be um, you know pretty reputable. Uh, we're trying to build it up into uh, to a powerhouse, and we're you know we're on the verge of that right now. That's got to be pretty awesome because uh, one thing that caught my attention you posted a while ago, Trevor. You were an unranked recruit who ends up carving out an eight-year NBA career. I mean, that must have been a huge motiv- motivating factor for you, but also for these kids. I mean, it, that's got to really resonate with them, right? Yeah, definitely so. Because you know, um, you know, a lot of kids get discouraged about you know they're not ranked, they're not this and that. Um, but you know, they need to know that rankings aren't everything. Uh, just because you're not ranked, you know, uh, a certain number, that doesn't mean that you can't make noise and. And, you know, find a niche and carve your way into, you know, different things, um, just like I did, you know. Coming out of high school, I wasn't ranked. Um, I was a three-star player, you know, but I went to uh, ACC school my freshman year and I started, um, you know, all because I worked. Um, I worked and I went un- unnoticed in high school. It- it's not uncommon just because uh, you go unnoticed or just because you're ranked. I mean, just because you're not ranked doesn't mean, you know, that you're not a good player. Sometimes players go unnoticed um, for whatever situation. Um, and I think that's what happened with me. Um, but you got to keep working. And, you know, there's different ways to prove yourself. If you keep working, it, your work is going to show up. And you are definitely living proof of that. So, I mean, that, that's that got to be just uh, something that really gets through to the players on a daily basis uh, that you're working with, the kids. Um, but also, talking about your career, I mean, you were part of a few different organizations during your time. How did the Pacers culture stack up against maybe the likes of, like, a Washington or a Brooklyn or Philly or Utah? Um, Pacers, you know, top-notch. One of the best organizations that I've, you know, played for. Um, they're definitely, you know, at the top. I'll put them in uh, probably Utah at the top, uh, where Brooklyn was pretty good, too. So those three are probably, you know, compared to each other, family atmosphere. Uh, they did everything right, um, you know, make the players feel comfortable. So they're, they're definitely, you know, at the top of my list. Yeah. Any interactions with Larry Bird during your time there? Because I feel like Larry Bird kind of s- stepped down a little bit uh, right around that time when, when you joined the team. But any uh, interactions you could tell us about? Um, You know, I've, I've gotten to meet uh, Larry a couple of times. Uh, we didn't have, you know, any extensive conversations, but, you know, just to meet him, 
uh, it was a, a great honor to, you know, meet one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. Um, so, you know, just to meet him and be around him, uh, it, it's motivational. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's got to be uh, it's got to be a pretty surreal experience. I mean, Larry, truly one of the greats in the game. Was that a player that you were a fan of growing up, or what was really Trevor Booker's style of players that you looked up to? Well, he was a little bit before my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, um, you know, like a Kobe Allen Iverson fan. Um, you know, I loved watching Shaq, you know, how he dunked and dunked on people. Um, but I would say probably Kobe and Allen Iverson were my two favorite players. You know, speaking of Kobe, I mean, I got to bring it up because about a month ago, I was watching when they replayed Kobe's 60-point game. Trevor, I saw you guarding him a couple times. What was that experience like, knowing that you know, you played against Kobe in his last game, and he ends up going up for 60 points? I mean, how surreal was that? Yeah, it was crazy. It was super crazy. Uh, definitely the craziest game that I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, he started off very slow mm-hmm. in the, the first uh, three or four minutes. Um, and then, of course, I go up for a dunk and he blocks my shot. <laughs> That changed everything, you know. He goes on to to score 60 points from there. Um, But, you know, just to watch it, you know, with him being one of my favorite players, you know, I was out there playing, but at the same time I was spectating because, you know, it was his last game, man. What he was doing was, you know, unbelievable. You couldn't, you know, know, write it any better. You know, a lot of people would, you know, think that it's fake and, you know, that we let him do that. But you watch the game, we didn't let him do anything. You know, he still had to make shots, and we had a you know a hand in his face every shot. Um, so it was it was definitely you know surreal. It, it really was, and I've heard that before, where people think that the Jazz were just willing to lose that game, but it's like Kobe really took over. I mean, he evaporated a ten point lead right at the end of that game by just he could not miss, and I think that that whole arena. Players, players included, just as you mentioned, became spectators because you're witnessing a great for the last time. And, I mean, Shaq infam- infamously asked, can you get me 50? And Kobe delivers 60. It just seemed like such a Kobe thing to do. Uh, and that's just a game that I just remember so clearly watching at the time. Um, so it must have been truly special to have been a part of that, especially when you mentioned that you looked up to Kobe. Yeah, yeah, definitely so, definitely so. And, you know, we're talking about some of the teams that you've been on in the past. I mean, you've been on winning teams. You've been on losing teams. But for our listeners, what is something that you can look back on and say, like, this made certain teams more successful? Is it the team dinners? Is it little things like a group chat or just kind of staying collectively? Because, as you know, not every team is close. And the teams that tend to be a bit closer tend to be a little bit more successful on the on the court. I mean, is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, the teams that are closer, um, it's easier for them to talk about, you know, uh, what they see wrong on the court. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not close and, and somebody's trying to tell you, you know, tr- somebody's trying to criticize you, you're going to take it the wrong way and it's going to cause problems. So being closer uh, is definitely, you know, better for, you know, team chemistry. 
Was there specifically maybe a team uh, that you were part of that wasn't close or maybe should have been a lot closer where, you know, when you went to another organization, you look back and you're like, wow, uh, this is maybe how things are supposed to be run. Uh, you know, coming in in Washington, you know, we weren't the closest team. We had a very young team um, and we weren't close. Um, and, you know, it showed on the court, uh, but mm-hmm. we were young. We really didn't know, you know, what we were doing, what we were getting ourselves into. Um, and we, uh, early on, you know, my rookie year, we didn't have that veteran leadership. Um, but, you know, as I went along in my career, you know, I had teams uh, great teams where we were very close and, you know, we got along and we were able to criticize each other, construct, constructive criticism, um, and it paid off. Yeah, one of those teams where I felt like was a pretty close team, or at least from what, what I witnessed and what Thad Young said, was that 2017-2018 Pacers team. I mean, you joined that team uh, basically around midseason. Uh, can you tell us what that locker room was like and was it tough to join a team that late in the year? Yeah, I mean, anytime you join a team uh, later in the year, it's definitely tough. Uh, but, you know, if it's any team that you would want to join, it's a team like that because those guys, you know, were great. Uh, you had, you know, Big Al, uh, veteran leadership, you know, Thad, another veteran, um, you know, Vic, who's the face of the fran- uh, franchise, you know, open guy, um, you know, super down to earth. Uh, you know, and fun to be around. So, you know, having guys like that really made the, uh, you know, experience a lot better. Yeah, uh, Al Jefferson, another person who came on our show, just really talked about some of the ins and outs of uh, that team. And, man, there is just such a need for that veteran leader. And I feel like Al wasn't getting enough credit because maybe you didn't see him on the court all the time. But, how important is it to have that veteran leader? Because you mentioned in Washington, it seemed like that's kind of what they were lacking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't, I mean, I think some people, you know, don't realize how important that veteran leadership is. Um, but I, I realized that, you know, very on, I mean, very early, very, very early on in my career, um, it, it means a lot, especially to the young players, because especially if you first come into the league, you know, you don't know how things are run. So you just go on with the flow, and if somebody else, you know, if one player is being a knucklehead, then you're going to just follow right behind that. You're going to think that's normal. It's true. I listened to a podcast recently. Uh, Gilbert Arenas and Nick Young were on, you know, obviously they're cracking jokes and talking about, you know, some of the maybe funnier moments that are now to hear about. But I'm sure, you know, back then probably contributed to maybe not winning as many games as they could have. Uh, because there was definitely talent on some of those Wizards teams. But um, a question for who was maybe like the guy who took you under your wing? Was there one of those, maybe someone who kind of showed you a little bit of uh, the ropes of the NBA business? Uh, You know, uh, later on in my Washington career, we had uh, vets like Al Harrington, uh, Nene, uh, Trevor Ariza, Drew Gooden, you know, all those guys came in and, you know, uh, really, you know, started to help change the culture in Washington and change the mindset, you know, of the younger guys. Uh, it wasn't easy, uh, but, you know, they, they tried and they did a, you know, a very good job with me. Um, but those guys uh, was probably the first ones that I encountered. Yeah, love, love me some Al Harrington. Uh, great to see that his business, Viola, is booming right now and, two-time pacer so 
obviously uh, we have a soft spot for him on this show. Um, but going back to your time with the Pacers, was there maybe like an underrated personality that we don't hear too much about? Someone who was fun to be around, but maybe isn't like too vocal in terms of the media? Um, I would say probably Lance Stevenson. You know, <laughs> he's known to be, you know, outlandish and all of that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, how great of a guy he is. Uh, you know, he's a, a very funny, down-to-earth guy. Uh, he's a great guy to be around. You know, you see him on the court, and, you know, he's getting on the people's skin, and people think he's a, a butthole, but people just don't know, you know, how great of a guy he is. It's so true. I feel like the media only portrays one side of Lance and never really talks about, like, his impact on the court because, I mean, the Pacers were – a, a much better team with Lance than they were without when he joined the team uh, just about a year before you joined the team. Um, and all Pacer fans, just they they hold Lance very dear to them. Uh, he was reportedly close to signing with the Pacers back in March before everything went down with COVID-19. Do you think we'll see Lance back in the league? And, uh, yeah, I mean, can you kind of sum up what he really brings to the table? Yeah, I think we'll definitely see him back in the league. Um I mean, if we don't, it would be a shame. I, I mean, I feel like a, a few players should be in the league still. Um, but Lance brings a lot to the table. Um, you know, he's a, a great locker room presence. Uh, you, you know, you get him on the court, super competitor that can score the ball. Um, and like I said, he can get on the people's skin. And that goes a long way on, on the court. That's a guy that you love to have as a teammate. Maybe not like to play against, but hey, if he's on your team, then then that's that's all you need. And uh, a team that you went up against in a hard-fought seven-game series was LeBron James and the Cavaliers. I mean, did you hope to get a chance to run it back with the Pacers? And was there any negotiations on maybe a return? Yeah, I was. You know, I was hoping to, uh, but they had a younger guy, T.J. Leaf, that they wanted to take a look at. And I understood that. Um, and, you know, they wanted me to play a, a veteran role where I wasn't, you know, going to get much playing time probably because they wanted to get a better look at TJ. So I just wanted to explore, you know, more options and see what was out there. And I had a, you know, offer come across my desk from China, um, you know, where I, I would, you know, make more money and I would still get to play. So I explored that option. Uh, it didn't end up working out because I got hurt over there. Um, but that's, you know, that's what ended my, you know, I guess, NBA career. Well, I'm definitely sorry to hear that about that injury. And that move to China is something that we see you know, quite often. I mean, it happened with Lance Stevenson. He went over to China this year. It happens with a ton of other players. But there's also some players where it doesn't really work out for them because maybe of a culture shock. Like, for instance, like a J.R. Smith or an Al Harrington, I know they said that, Playing over in China was was pretty rough for them. What was the experience like from you outside of getting hurt? Um, well, I was only there for a month, but you know, it was definitely different over there. But I I definitely enjoyed my time. Um, it was difficult communicating. I played a lot of charades, um, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, my teammates were great. Uh, the team, you know, they were great, and it was definitely a, an experience that I'll you know, I'll never forget. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be something real interesting. I've never been over there before. I have a friend who spent about a year in China. He loved it. It seems like it just takes a little bit of time to get used to the culture over there. And then you know, there's guys like Stefan Marbury who loved every second of it and really just, I mean, built quite the career over there You know, after the NBA. But I thought we'd uh, kind of wrap up with a little bit of rapid-fire questions just about your time in the league. Uh, just the first thought that comes to your mind, favorite teammate of yours? Ooh. Favorite teammate of mine would probably be uh, maybe Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles, okay. Also, see that you're pretty close to Rudy Gobert. Saw he gave you uh, a nice shout out. Were you and uh, Rudy pretty close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Rudy, we remain pretty close. Yep. That's awesome. I hope everything's going well uh, with him. I know he's taking a little bit of uh, some heat from other players in the league, but uh, I'm sure he'll be able to smooth things out once, you know. Everything calms down a little bit. Uh, next question. Favorite team that you've been on, like like year-wise? Favorite team? Um, probably the Utah Jazz team when I was there. One of my first or second years. Okay. Now, I've never been over to Utah. I feel like the people that have been over there or played over there, they love the culture. They, I hear the fan base is great. Uh, I mean, what was your time yeah. like in Utah? Uh, nothing but positive memories. Uh, definitely the fan, the, the best fans in the NBA. You know, um, I've been around some great fans, uh, Indiana, Brooklyn, you know, Philly, Washington, but Utah definitely has the best fans. Um, you know, they just love everything. Uh, Utah Jazz basketball, and I love that about them. Uh, so nothing but positive memories. They're definitely diehard, and, and they do deserve a winner at some point. I feel like they've, you know, and for and one of those teams that just ran into Michael Jordan in his prime. But uh, next question for you: hardest part, hardest person to guard during your time? Uh, hardest person to guard, uh, probably uh, Dirk. Dirk. I used to have the guard. That's a good choice. Either Dirk or or Carmelo, probably. Um, but you know, Dirk. I I used to have to guard him, and he was like you know three four inches taller than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would play great defense. And, you know, get a hand basically, you know, touching his nose, but he was still splashing. <laughs> so it was pretty frustrating. Still able to shoot over you, but also by doing the patented, you know, Dirk kicking the leg out a little bit. He's just buying enough space that makes him even twice as hard to guard. So I could definitely see that. And Melo, you know, I'm a huge fan of Melo. He's a walking bucket. So that's another great choice. Yeah. Best coach that you've played for in the NBA? Oh. Uh, Quinn Snyder, that's my guy. You know, he's uh, he's probably the smartest coach, you know, that I've played for ever. Um, and, I've, and I've had some, you know, pretty smart coaches. But Quinn Snyder is, is, is definitely my favorite coach. Yeah, I, I love I love Quinn as a coach. I think he's done some great things with the Jazz. Um, I feel like even just uh, over the last couple of years, really making them a consistent, you know, middle-of-the-pack playoff team that, you know, as we saw, eliminate the Thunder a couple of years ago when a lot of people did not expect that. So I feel like Quinn's definitely one of the coaches on the rise for really getting some great recognition. Uh, best current player in the NBA right now? Uh, LeBron James. LeBron James. For sure. I, I stand with you. Yeah, nobody, no, nobody's on LeBron's level. What he's doing at age 35, I mean, this is... Very impressive. I mean, it is reminiscent of Jordan at age 35 when Jordan won MVP. 
But, I mean, when is this guy going to slow down? Because if this is LeBron at 35, I mean, what is he at 38? You know, is he still averaging 22? Like, he's taking his game to the next level. Right. And, I mean, he's being smart with it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, usually if, you, if you're still playing at this high level, high of a level, a player, you know, would want to be the number one player on the team. Uh, but LeBron is trying to, you know, uh, like Anthony Davis type players, you know, where he can hand the reins off to it and put that load on every night and he could, you know, take a back seat uh, to that player, you know, where he can reserve, you know, his body, which is, is super smart. Um, and a lot of pe- people don't think like that, but LeBron, he, he has it all planned out. Uh, he really does. Even hearing that he, you know, spends about a million dollars keeping his body fresh, I, I feel like, this is going to change the game for athletes really taking care of their body because it looks like no doubt if LeBron wants to, he could easily play until he's 40. And I feel like he's got a shot at at taking the all-time scoring title uh, in NBA history over Kareem. So last question, who is the GOAT? LeBron. Okay, okay, all right. That's a a question that could... Hey, I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, I'm going to lean Jordan, but you've played against LeBron, and I feel like you know you got a little bit of a, an upper hand on this on this question over here. So, last question of the day: As you just announced your retirement, what does Trevor Booker have planned next? Oh, uh, we'll see. Um, I got a, a couple of things up my sleeve, uh, so I'm you know going to take the next couple of weeks to, you know, ponder everything uh, and see what opportunities come my way and then weigh everything. Okay. Do you have any interest in ever coaching? Uh, I've, I've thought about it. I, I would, that was, that's something that I would be great at, but I don't think I want to uh, deal with that kind of grind. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm going to go a different route. I respect it. If, if you mentioned before how you want to be around your family a lot more, going right into coaching, it's pretty much the opposite of that. So I completely respect it. But, hey, Trevor, once again, congratulations on retirement. Really appreciate you coming back on the show as a recurring guest. And uh, best of luck to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You got it. Have a great day. All right, you too. That was definitely fun catching up with Trevor and hearing what he's most excited for next as uh, he closes the chapter on his NBA career. But guys, also, if you haven't checked out some of our latest episodes, we have been serving up some great content. We had Thad Young on the show talking about his time in Indiana and uh, you know just basically how much he misses Pacer Nation. Uh, we talked about you know some of the worst draft picks in Pacers history as well as had Derek Schultz on the show uh, talking about what's really going on, um, when the NBA will resume, as well as we had Samuel Dallenbear on the show recently, and then talking about some of the best Pacer teams in franchise history as we were down to our Final Four and uh, championship teams. So you're going to want to tune in for all of that content as we will continue to provide uh, just everything that we can to keep you guys entertained during this time. So, you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3, on Instagram at PacersTalk. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And my co-host Alex Golden can be found on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I hope all is well. And just remember one last thing. Let's go Pacers.
Hi, this is Jermaine O'Neill, and you're listening to Setting the Pace on paceoftalk.net. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.